0: We all think about what we eat. We plan our meals or count carbs or do any number of other things when it comes to what we put in our bodies. But do you ever think about the flavor that you consume? Sure you do. What we eat or drink either tastes good or it doesn't. In fact, taste is the number one consideration in what we consume. Yet there's more to it than just like or dislike. And there's even a whole industry dedicated to it. Flavor is memory. Flavor is feeling. Flavor is science. Flavor is art. Flavor is McCormick Fona. I'm Corey Doucette, and welcome to our Flavor University podcast, where we explore the science, artistry, and industry behind flavor. Change is inevitable. To modify your appearance, your home, or your social status in one way or another is something we all do. We change to get better, to find something new, or just break away from the expected. Often in flavor, modification is also necessary for these same reasons. To highlight some flavors while suppressing others is needed to bring forth what a customer or consumer expects, or it may be required that a flavor is disguised while still reaping overall health benefits. Point is, the change is not always what you expect, but more often than not, it's what you need. Hey there, everybody. We're going to start today's podcast on taste modification. We've got two specialists
1: here from Fona joining us today. I'll let them introduce themselves, so we'll go ahead and start off. Hi, everyone. Jason Middlehauser. I'm the Solutions Manager for the Health and Nutrition team here at MC Fona.
2: Hi, my name is Dr. Lindsay Simchak, and I'm a senior scientist on the research and innovation team, and I lead our taste modification platform from an innovation standpoint.
0: All right. Well, thanks for joining us, guys. Glad you could be here. Hopefully, we're going to have a very... Insightful chat today. I feel like we have a lot to talk about as far as modifications go. But before we get to that interesting topic, we're going to start with how we usually start. Let's talk about your introductions. Who are you? What got you into flavor and what got you here to MC Fona? Lindsay, if you could start for us.
2: Sure. I finished up my PhD in chemistry at Northwestern and I was really looking for something off the typical path. And I've always loved food. So when I came across the flavor industry, it was just of for sure interest for me. And so I found Phona, and I've been here since.
1: Awesome. And yeah, and for me, I was actually going to school at Northern Illinois University, studying biochemistry. My sort of aspirations and dream was to go more in the pharmaceutical realm, looking for a job for the summer. My research advisor pointed me to, at that time, Fona International's direction. Um, so I decided to give it a whirl that summer. And I work with Dr. Bob Sobel and his team in research innovation, and he gave me the the lovely task of working on taste modification. So didn't really know what that meant, didn't really know what the flavor industry even was, but I learned to like it very quickly and everything. I, I thought it was so interesting, the whole aspect of, well, one, you're getting paid to taste and consume things all day long and drink things all day long. So that was enticing. And the thing that I thought that was uh, the most interesting was really um, in taste modification, it's really important to understand the chemistry around how different types of food ingredients and food stuff interacts with our tongue and how we can sort of make it a more pleasurable experience. So it really intrigued me. And due to that, I decided to take a job with Fona after I graduated. So it it was a pretty cool journey for me. It's true.
0: Once you get to Phona, I mean, or MC Fona or whatever you want to call us <laughs> these days, you'd never want to leave. It's it's that kind of environment that we work in. But what I'm going to ask here, I mean, is basically, when you're telling us you were, you were an intern to start with. And Correct. you've never changed, have either one of you changed out of taste modification, like started somewhere else and went there? Or have you just always been taste modifiers? Mm.
2: So I started actually on the analytical team for a year. And then after a year of that, I moved into taste modification and I love taste modification. So it's been a really awesome change.
1: Yeah. And for myself, it's always where my, uh, people always ask me, it's like, when they've asked me about moving into different departments and areas, they're like, Well, the only thing I'm concerned about is this is something that's really passionate to you and that you love. Like, do you really want to branch off into something else? And, you know, I ended up making that decision because taste modification is still a part of my day-to-day. It's just not the number one area that I focus on. But, you know, when I first started off working with Dr. Bob and and in research innovation, I was working on taste modification across every single group so there'd be one day where i'm or i'm working on uh oddly enough there's even times where you have to taste mass things in candies to OTC products and and supplements to the next day then could be something in a juice product and everything. So I love the diversity of it all. But what that diversity really gave me was, is it pointed me in a direction that I was even more passionate in, and that was in the area of beverage. And with that, you know, it's more in the health and nutrition realm. So you're dealing with these functional additives and ingredients and challenges every single day. And I really thought that that was An area that I thought I could really bring home a lot of the things that Dr. Bob and his team taught me to be successful in in that type of category and segment.
0: So we've said it a lot, you know, taste modification, taste modification, we've repeated it over and over again. What is it? I mean, I have my ideas and I'm not going to go into them until after you actually say (laughs) anything, uh, but what is taste modification, like definition Webster's Dictionary?
2: So, taste modification is the process of altering one or more of the basic tastes. So, those tastes are sweet, salty, sour, bitter, and umami. Typically, we're looking to reduce the negative attributes, so bitterness and sourness, and enhance the positive ones, which are sweet, salty, and umami.
1: And that's a really good point, what you brought up and what you, where you're going with, with this too, Corey, and everything. And I know a lot of times when I've just been speaking right now, I'm really highlighting covering up the negative pieces, masking different types of functional additives, but there's a whole nother side to it. So it's not just about getting rid of the negative or bad pacing parts, it's also accentuating a lot of the positives of it as well, too. So that accentuation can come in the form of enhancing different types of flavor attributes, adding juicy notes, adding CD notes to make things more well-rounded. It could even come from a form of enhancing sweetness, like, like Dr. Lindsay was saying there as well, too. So there's a much broader scope in this versus what most people just think of when they first hone in on taste modifications like, oh, we're just trying to get rid of a bad taste. No, there's a lot of other ways that you can approach it to make a product much more palatable overall. And that's what we try to do across every day.
0: So you guys are the chameleons of flavor. You're literally hiding and or presenting what you need to present in order to
1: make your product. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really fair assessment. So don't want to brag about it, but yeah. I mean, you can all. dust off your shoulders if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> if only people could see it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Well, they sure they sure taste it, I'm sure. <laughs> so if we're highlighting, you know, I noticed, Lindsay, you, you only mentioned like bitterness and sourness. Are there any other flavors that we're trying to kind of mask or, or reduce?
2: Um, so those are just the five basic taste attributes, but there's always more. I mean, there's mouthfeel and texture and, you know, how we perceive flavor. All of the basic sensory attributes come into play. So how things look, how things feel, uh, how things sound. All of those attributes all come together. So, you know, it is more complex than that. But um, those are kind of the, the main targets on, mm-hmm. a, on a simple level. Yeah. And
0: how do you guys approach projects like this, like taste modification? You know, if somebody comes to you with, for just a strange example, like a, a fish pill. From personal experience, I know I've taken fish pills and I always get fish digestion <laughs> uh, or indigestion as the case may be. Is, is that something that you guys come across? If somebody comes to you with a product like that, how do you approach it?
1: Yeah, it's an excellent uh, excellent question everything. So it's really twofold, but oh, I shouldn't even say twofold. There's multiple different approaches that are necessary to achieve. So let's just take the example of this. So one of the reasons why you see so many products like fish oil in a capsule type form is because that's the easiest way for us to be able to mitigate the off notes without people having to perceive it. But there's a lot of other areas that people would like to explore from a consumption perspective to get those attributes, get those types of ingredients and functionals into their body. So with that, you know, it could be a play of the excipients that you use. So when I say excipients, I'm really looking at when you look at your ingredient statement line on your package, the different types of sweeteners, the different types of Acids, the different types of hydrocolloids or gums in there. Each of those things play a role in regards to how they can mask or cover up different types of off notes. The example I always love to give, just to give everyone like sort of an easy visual, is coffee. So you drink black coffee, it's roasted, it's bitter, it tastes like crap. What do most people do? You add a slug of cream in there, you add a slug of sugar. What are you adding? You're adding a sweetness, sweetener, in there. The cream is adding; it's almost like a, a gum in a sense. You're adding fat. You're adding you're adding mouthfeel to sort of help mitigate those off notes. So that's one area is really being able to understand the formulation piece of how you build that initial product. The second then comes really in regards to. The area of taste modification and and Optify. So how you are in uh, there's certain types of ingredients that can help sort of mitigate those types of off notes overall, and that comes with a lot of trial and error. You brought up a great point, Corey, that I I would have brought up if you didn't bring it up. But when you're looking at taste modification overall, I always like to look at it with there's a science piece to this, there's an art piece to it, and then there's a piece of luck to it as well, too. You know, there's a lot of trial and error to be able to sort of test and determine what's going to work out best. And that's really where Optify plays a big role. And then the third piece of it is really the flavor piece. So, flavor can, in a sense, act as a modifier. You know, so there's certain flavor profiles, let's go back to the fish example, that are going to work a little bit more seamlessly with a fish type ingredient. So a lot of times you might see citrus or lemons and everything used in there. Grapes work out well as well too, but grape is something a lot of people associate with like kids' medicine and everything. So it's not really all that super appealing. But then, too, when you then transition over to more of the tropical type routes, so think about your peaches, your mangoes, adding in background notes of like a banana in there too. Banana accentuates when you taste a banana flavor. It has a very aromatic, so it helps cover the aromatic piece of fish. But then also, too, it delivers a lot on sweetness enhancement and perception because of the flavor compounds in there that just play and work really well in that space, too. So. Ugh. I'll shut up now. No, I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm over
0: here, like just flabbergasted. Like, you know, I eat this stuff and I'm just like, this is terrible. I'm not taking this. Again. Whereas, you know, you guys in your industry are literally going out of your way to make it so that people like me aren't like, I'm never trying this again. You know, especially if it's beneficial to my
1: health. Yeah. Well, we're saying that though, like a hundred times during the process, like I'm not tasting this anymore and everything. So, but yeah, sometimes it just takes a, some some applications take a little bit longer than others to to really find that happy synergy. And you know, sometimes there's a give and take in everything too. Like you're not always going to be able to make a product just magically taste wonderful. You know, there's there's going to sometimes be, depending upon the functional additive and the taste profile, the aromatic piece of it, there's going to sometimes be a little bit of give and take in regards to what's going to be deemed acceptable to the consumer. So, we're trying to make sure that we get it there. All the way to a, a perfect product is, is where I, our ideal is, but we want to make sure that this product is as consumer-friendly as possible.
0: So now you bring up another interesting point to me. And I I think I've asked this before on the podcast to a few other flavorists or flavor scientists. How do you do it? I mean, you guys are tasting the same thing or different things, you know, of the same product type in a day. And it's just, it's got to be exhausting, especially if you don't like the flavor. Like, (laughs) Do you just man up or woman up and just go through it? Or, you know, how do you do it? Like, how do you, and I know like when you go to the candle company and, you know, your nose is on overload, they have you sniff coffee. Is there a flavor that you guys like take a shot of in between so that you can keep going? How do you do it?
2: I mean, I think it's dependent on what you're tasting over and over again. Lots of water, unsalted crackers, bland things to kind of clear your palate and just time taking breaks and being able to. Get back to it,
1: and it's important too. Having like what's what's really great about our company and our our team here is, we have a large team. So unfortunately, you share the wealth. So you're not only suffering in that; other people are suffering as well. But making sure though that you're getting the right tasers or panelists to taste these things is important too. You don't want people. You know, we can go down the whole route of now that now that you're mentioning flavors and everything, the whole route of super tasters and stuff. But, I mean, it it does carry a little bit of weight there in regards to you want to, like, I always like to have several flavors taste these products on top of several people on the application scene that work on these products on a regular basis because they're going to understand all the slight intricacies that we're looking to pick up so if it's a protein type product you know we're looking for okay what's the aromatic piece happening where is the bitterness coming from is there an is there an astringency note does it taste like throw up or a barn and everything like all those things are very key characteristics and and things that we're trying to hone in on and i want to make sure when i'm Choosing people that I'm choosing people that I know work on these products or know the flavor type, flavor compounds that are going to be in that matrix, because that's going to give me the best feedback. But you got to be mindful on how you space things out and everything. So, you know, whether it's you work on a product for an hour or so. Take a break would transition to some other thing that tastes horrible to give yourself a little bit of a, a change of uh, a change of scenery there that's what's necessary in order to make sure that you're being able to solve the problem as best as possible so I mean there
0: are those people who are like, "Oh, I could eat pizza every day every day <laughs> like don't don't say it until you've actually tried it <laughs> I mean that's a hard pass for me on that one <laughs> so let's talk about challenges. What are some big challenges? that you guys face on the day-to-day when you're trying to either enhance or cover or mask or manipulate a flavor?
2: As consumers are looking for more healthy options, the functional ingredients are getting more and more challenging in terms of bitterness or astringency, mouthfeel. They just keep growing and growing. So, especially lingering bitterness, we get a lot of active ingredients where It's easy to cover up the bitterness up front, but then it just lingers and lingers. Finding solutions for those ingredients gets very challenging, especially when it comes to things that are difficult to taste a lot of. If there are safety reasons and whatnot, those are really challenging
0: and what causes you guys like the biggest headache what what flavor is the hardest to modify and conversely what's the easiest to modify is there something out there that just you know like tofu takes the taste of whatever you eat or whatever it's
1: prepared with <laughs> one of the flavors that i think is the most challenging to work with and i'm going to be speaking about this from the lens of of a beverage or a health and nutrition type product is if you look in the market space especially in protein your number one slash number two flavor is vanilla. So every single product line has to have that. So unfortunately, though, you know, a vanilla might work very well when you're talking about a dairy protein, because guess what? It has the, the, the creaminess. It has the milk characteristics, The some of that uh, fattiness and everything. So a vanilla is going to pair very well. Sometimes, you know, depending upon if you're choosing or working with the right flavor, You could have this wonderful, nice type of ice cream type profile and notes. But then when you try to translate vanilla into a product like a plant protein or when you're dealing with pea or rice or or whatnot, now you're dealing with things. It's like who wants to eat (laughs) vegetables with vanilla extract or something like that? No, no one does, you know? So that's, what's one of the more challenging things. It's, it's, we're successful at it. We do it every single day, but a lot of times I always like to look at these. It's like, it's almost smarter and a better play to recognize the functional ingredients that you're using, develop your own glossary of descriptors for that product and determine what's going to congruently work with that base. So a lot of times, like going back to the whole plant protein and more specifically pea, you know, a lot of times on top of the vegetative notes, other things that people will pick up is, is like a nuttiness to it, or they'll pick up some savory notes. So if I'm doing something from a a beverage perspective and looking at vanilla, it might be smart for me to add in underlying notes of like a caramel nut. Or maybe it's a, a, a coffee note. So I might not necessarily be calling it, or the customer might not want to be calling it vanilla latte or uh, vanilla nut, let's just say. But those underlying notes are going to help mitigate some of the off notes of the base and make it a more palatable product overall. And then again,
0: what is the modifier that you find yourself your go-to? Like what's your, you know, this will make everything better every almost every time.
2: That really doesn't exist. Um, every product is unique. There isn't a universal taste mod solution. So at Fona, we at MC Fona, we make custom taste modification solutions because every product needs its own new solution.
1: If we come up with that solution though, and everything, <laughs> that, that real quick. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yep. I want to be sitting on an island somewhere. Yep, that's right.
0: So if there's no one fix-all, then that means that there can't be one approach. Are there different types of approach when it comes to flavor modification? And if so, what are they?
2: Yes. So there are two main approaches that we can take uh, for taste modification. There's physical approach, which is basically when you are physically blocking the offending ingredient from reaching your taste receptors so that your brain isn't processing it. Um, And then the second type of approach are psychochemical approaches. So basically you are tricking your brain to perceive that negative attribute at a lower level. So what Jason mentioned earlier with the coffee example, adding milk to or cream to your coffee, that's a physical approach because you're introducing fat and that fat is going to slow down the mobility of the coffee that is bitter and acidic so that it just flows better and smoother in your mouth. Whereas adding sugar is a psychochemical approach because what you're doing is you're introducing sweetness in addition to the bitterness and the acidity of the coffee. And you're distracting your brain. You're introducing more signals for your brain to perceive. And so in turn, you're going to perceive a less bitter, less acidic coffee.
0: In that case, I must like to trick my brain on the daily because I like my coffee, like my personality, (laughs) light and sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but that makes perfect sense. I mean, we're physically modifying, you know, what we're eating so that we can, is it so that we can eat more of it or is it so that it's a more pleasurable experience? Like why are, why are we doing these modifications?
2: I think it's for a little bit of both. I think there are some applications where we're looking just to make it more enjoyable, but then, you know, you've got applications like for sugar reduction or sodium reduction, where you know it's not just about consuming it, and like for a supplement, it's for actual enjoyment, for snacks, and you know to eat more and to really you know enjoy what you're tasting. Um, and so it, it kind of just depends on what the what the goal of the of the product is, and you know what that final application is. And of course, you know within those two general strategies, there are tons of tools within that can be used. But that's kind of where we start. And typically, we'll use a combination of those strategies and approaches. It's not just one. It's a blend that all come together.
0: A follow-up to that. Can you please modify the flavor of kale (laughs) for me? (laughs) Um, That is so bitter. Anytime they're like, oh, try this kale salad. And I'm not here for that. Um,
1: Throw some bacon in it.
2: Yeah. I have a cousin that every time I see him, (laughs) he asks me if we found a solution or if we found a, a way that we can make broccoli taste like chocolate and i'm like mm, maybe one day
0: <laughs> and then i mean and that comes down to personal preference which is also yeah. something you guys are probably working against too i mean i like broccoli uh, i can handle that and then jason said bacon and you know for the kale answer and i was instantly like well i haven't tried that and then my mouth watered
2: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so i mean how do you guys deal with preference like how do you overcome somebody's obstinance to You know a certain flavor with modifications.
1: Yeah, part of that goes back to um, a little bit of the comments I was making about super tasters. So, if I if I recall correctly, and it's been a while since I've looked up these statistics, but I want to say twenty five percent of people are super tasters. Mm Twenty five percent of people are non tasters, um, or your horrible tasters, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, too bad that number isn't much greater, or else. Our job would be a lot easier. Yeah. And then with 50% being average, so like I'm an average chaser. So you're at the end of the day, you're never going to appease every single person that's out there. What you're trying to do is. One, why I'm bringing what I just said up is you want to get a good, you want to get a good mix of all those people. Obviously, for the most part, you'd want to lean maybe a little bit more towards the super taster or the average taster, uh, just to make sure you're cover- covering most of your your ends here. But at the end of the day, though, you just need to get a good consensus, whether that's through um, sensory work. Um, maybe it's other analytical tools as well, too, to understand if you are successfully uh, achieving your objective, whether that's enhancing something or mitigating something. Um, that's that's what you got to do. You're never going to be able to appease everyone. You're just hoping to appease a majority of the audience. So,
2: yeah, and you know, with specific flavors, emotions and memory are tied mm-hmm. very strongly to flavors that we like. We had a customer call where one of the demos we were presenting was a guava flavor. And our customer had had a really traumatic experience with guava. And so he really did not like the demo because guava is not something that he would ever consume on his own choice. So those are things that are pretty much out of our control, but something that we need to keep in mind. But also, this customer probably would never go to the store and buy a guava flavored anything. So... That is just part of, you know, the consumer experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. and It's a good point, though, that she brings up about memory and emotion and everything. Because as soon as you start talking about that, that like... I instantly had a flashback moment to when I was a kid and having a negative experience with, it, it was a piece of candy and everything, but I will, I've told this story too many times before, but I will never eat a candied Whopper just because I had a bad experience with it. I won't go into any more details than that. It was just traumatic for me, um, but it brought me back there. So it's just crazy though, like how much like memory and emotions tied into this, because as soon as someone bring something like that up for you to be able to like just have this mental flashback and be able to picture this when you're, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. I was like three or four years old, so I'm almost 40 now. So mm-hmm. it, it just goes to show you how it, it sticks to you and everything it's really important and, and whatnot. So, but then the other big thing too is going back to that whole memory emotion thing. That's probably why you always see a lot of tried and true flavors. So mm-hmm. going back to my example of vanilla, There's vanilla everything because guess what? Everyone can picture vanilla and associate it with ice cream, with sweetness, et cetera, and they know it's going to be a pleasurable experience. So that's probably why a lot of times you'll see that. And that's sort of how you can sort of make sure that you're finding an acceptable liking across the board when you're looking at how are you making sure from a preference perspective that everyone is going to approve of it. Sounds to me like I need to change our intro to flavor is visceral. <laughs> <laughs> I and mean,
2: the reactions
0: that you guys are talking about are, mm-hmm. are so ingrained and so deep that, you know, how could you get over them? Yeah. And how could you hope to, to maneuver around that as, a, as mm-hmm. a flavor creator? Oh, yeah. The best you can do is try. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're coming to the end of our podcast here, you guys. So this is the point where we talk about takeaways. So we like to have like one or two. And if you're feeling ambitious, three takeaways for our listeners to kind of digest or something you really want them to understand and know about flavor modification. So I'll let you guys volunteer to who goes first.
2: I think just the number one takeaway is that there is no universal solution for taste modification. Every product's unique. Every product needs to be addressed individually as a unique opportunity.
1: Yeah, for me, uh, from an overall formulation product of whatever you're looking to launch, I always go back to really understanding the base that you're working with. So really having a good idea, that is going to involve. So hopefully it's not a lot of ingredients in your product, but really having an understanding of what each individual ingredient tastes like, where there could be potential off notes. How can you maybe even use those off notes to your advantage as well too in the product? And what I mean by advantage is, utilizing a flavor that could be congruent or um, marry well with the base. So, you know, going back to, you know, sometimes when you have bitter components in there using coffee or or grapefruit flavorings on that, that could be an example how you can marry that. Tea flavors as well, too, could work really well if you have a product that has some astringency or mouth drying aspect because tea can be drying overall. So, really understanding each of your base ingredients, how those taste, and then that gets your mind sort of spinning and going with, okay, well, what can I do with this to, to make friendly from a mass appeal perspective but then also add in you know my own little tweaks and whatnot to to make this my own product that's going to be successful in the marketplace
0: now these are the most important questions that i'm going to ask you today Mm -hmm. mostly because of the ones i created really quick off the cuff answers first question and i don't care who goes first again I've come across this experience where I've come across a flavor of something that I know I should like, you know, something I want to like because it's either beneficial in health, everybody in your family loves it, something like that. What flavor do you wish you could modify to actually like for its benefits? So you think it's awful, but you wish it tasted better so that you could eat it or would want to eat it.
2: For me, it's mushrooms. I would love to be able to eat mushrooms, but I don't like the taste. I don't like the texture. Can't do it.
0: If you ever get a chance to pet a stingray, that's what it feels like. a Wet mushroom. <laughs> I'm not kidding you when I say that. Whoppers.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so Whoppers are the chocolate and the, the, the malt, chocolate. right?
1: Yeah, the malted, the malted balls, yes. So yeah. so
0: how do you feel about milkshakes?
1: I love them. So it's it's a texture and it's a it's a, a combination. Yeah, that's it. I get so. it.
0: I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh so next question. I'm feeling a little silly today. I just you'll have to forgive me, you'll have to go on this trip with me, but I, in my mind, the way I get myself to take cough medication is that I convince myself the worse it tastes, the better or more healing properties it has. A, is that true? And B, can you fix it?
2: I think from a scientific standpoint, no, that is not true. Um, <laughs> giving myself the placebo effect, aren't I? <laughs> um, can we fix it and make, make those medicines taste better? Probably, yes. I I just go for the pills.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because that way I can just swallow it and be done with it. You know, and you ever notice this though? They don't make a, I like grape medication, like grape Mm -hmm. cough syrup, like from when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. they don't make them for adults. (laughs) Like, do you think I just grew out of it? (laughs) But uh, I'm sorry. So Jason, she's answered the, no, you can't do it. Are you going on that trip too and saying no way?
1: That you, that That, that you can't convince yourself that. That (laughs) the, that the worse it tastes, the better it works. That's what I always used to tell myself. <laughs> to, if it tastes as bad, it's got to be good for me and everything. So uh, so I, I, I get the mindset, and that's pretty much the mindset that most people have, I feel like, to begin with and everything. So,
0: <laughs> I mean, somehow it just makes it feel like as I'm swallowing the cough medicine, it's taking the cold. <laughs> yeah, 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 we wish. But I'm way off base, uh, and I know uh- it. All right, everyone. That's it for Flavor University Podcast. I'm Corey Duset, and I'd like to thank our special guests, Dr. Lindsey Simchek and Mr. Jason Middlehauser. Thanks for listening. And until next time, the flavor of McCormick Fauna is the flavor of life. So go out and taste it.